You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. All right, so we've had some nice sort of collisions of our interests, I feel like, a couple times today, Carol, for this Friday edition of Bloomberg Business Week. And this is another. We care about the earth. We care about Big the time. climate. And so does Julia Jackson. And like us, maybe even more than us, uh, she knows a lot about wine, certainly more than me, maybe more than you as well. And that's a bold Just statement. Just because you drink wine, do you know a lot about Exactly. <laughs> she's the proprietor of the Jackson Family Winery. Mm-hmm. She's also the founder of Grounded. She's based out in Sonoma, California. She's here with us in New York City. So tell us about Grounded, Julia, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So I come from um, Jackson Family Wines, which was founded by my father, the late Jess Jackson and my mother, Barbara Banky. I'm a second generation proprietor. And the last decade, I've really become a student of the climate crisis Mm -hmm. and what's happening. And I've become increasingly concerned about our trajectory as a species. And a lot of people talking about the problem, but not actually doing something about it. So back in 2017, the wildfires decimated Santa Rosa and caused $9 billion worth of damage to my community. It's like, how could you, you can't ignore it, right, when you're in California right now and in terms of the fires and the devastation that we've seen. Absolutely. I actually just lost my home three weeks ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, But I have to say that after losing my home this time around, I... Am more committed to the cause even more so than I was two years ago, which is ironic because it was two years ago, the 2017 wildfires, which really uh, was the tipping point for me, even though I'd been studying climate change, um, experiencing it firsthand and evacuating our ranch really led me to realize this is happening right now and this is happening in our community and I need to do something about this. And you're giving a speech, are you right to the UN or you did give a speech? I just gave a speech so, this morning. So tell us about what you wanted to emphasize because I do love that, I feel like the conversation has been elevated and there's more and more conversations about it and I hope that equally there are more things being done to right. maybe Right, conversations it. about action it feels it's, like and, yeah. and that seemed to be at the core of what you were saying. So, so tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So. Two years ago, I had the idea to launch my own startup, Grounded, which really the vision for it was to create a global movement around climate solutions. So get solutions, give them a platform, and have a summit. Um, We had our first one in March um, of last year, convening solutionists, speaking to all sorts of solutions to the climate crisis and get them in a room with policymakers, investors, influencers, and give them a megaphone so that we're not just talking about the problem. We can actually have these solutions, pitch their solutions to the world. What's interesting is, and we, Jason and I, have certainly had these conversations at some of the, many of the Bloomberg Live events, but, you know, and you've seen the Business Roundtable come out and say, okay, it's not just a responsibility to our shareholder. There are employees, there is the environment as a whole. And I do wonder if you think, in terms of the conversations you're having and the people that you're speaking to, is it our policymakers or is it really going to be the private sector that continues to make the big changes? And California really is front and center with all of this. Yes, uh, it, all hands on deck. Yeah. 
and Governor Jerry Brown, we were really honored to have him open our summit last year and um, draw down the book Drawdown by Paul Hawken, which mm-hmm. is 100 Solutions to Climate Change, was really, for me, the inspiration behind Grounded and giving solutions a chance. It's going to take policymakers, it's going to take the private sector, it's going to take individual action, it's going to take uh, influencers, it's literally going to take every single human being on this planet. So being able to create a movement and get a lot more people to realize there are solutions like regenerative agriculture that can sequester a trillion tons of carbon if scaled globally, that would put us at 1870 levels pre-industrial revolution. It's funny because we talk about things like cars and stuff, but you do think about agriculture. I was out in the Midwest and meat production and so on and so forth, but you do think about the impact something like that is having uh, on our global economy and certainly our global environment. Right. Well, we really appreciate the time. Julia Jackson, proprietor of the Jackson Family Wines. She's also the founder of Grounded, based in Sonoma, California. This work is at the core of so many of the things that we're talking about. There's a business imperative, clearly an economic imperative, ESG a cultural imperative. We just talking about absolutely, and there's a human imperative to this. To your point, it feels like we're we're at this moment where more and more entrepreneurs, CEOs, you know, folks are starting to engage on this on a much more holistic level. Well, and it goes to it's the right thing to do, but you're also seeing more companies talk about it, making the business case for it as well, that it makes sense. I do want to point out their next 2020 summit. It's in March. The theme is Accelerate and Connect. Um, so if folks want to find out a little bit more about that, they can certainly check out Grounded online. All right, so I've very much been looking forward to this conversation with Herbie Calvis, the president of Mix Fitness, in part because I've known Herbie for a long time. Full disclosure. Uh-oh, does that oh, does that mean I didn't you have know we, I didn't know we were going there. Do you have stories on Jason Kelly? <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Later? Later? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Better than 20 years I've known you, but in part because I've been tracking your career very closely. You worked at Timex on the Iron Man brand. You worked for Kiss My Face, a yes. great uh, organic uh, skin products company and you've worked in consumer products and now you've turned your attention to fitness Mm mixed fitness you guys had a big week this week launching a whole new platform tell us about it so we're launching a product in the in-home fitness space we feel like this category is emerging it's just burgeoning now it's it's a new category and what we decided to do about a year ago is step back and look at the consumers in this category nobody's really talking about the different segments of consumers that exist and what we realized was there's a, a group, about 7% of consumers are out there to work out to win, work out to compete. And there's a much larger group of consumers that are looking to work out to just be fit and live a better life. So which one do you want? The second group. <laughs> the second group. Yeah. And, that, and that group, I mean, if you step back even and just look at the category, um, fitness is about a $32 billion category right now. Huge. And and, and that includes what gyms you're talking about everything right yeah that's uh, according to ursa yeah and it's it gym it's fitness and wellness okay but yet obesity rates are right. two-thirds of adults are struggling with overweight and obesity one-third of children are struggling with overweight and obesity so something's not working mm-hmm. so there's no solution out there that's really helping these people all right so we think about peloton you know ipo didn't mm-hmm. go as great as maybe they thought although it's creeping back toward that ipo price you right. look at something like 
Orange Theory Fitness, yes, uh, which I know you've tried. I mean, that's a really interesting concept that ke- seems to be catching on and and gets to a, a slightly wider market. Put this in context for us so, with those competitors. So Peloton, really, if you look, if you think about John Foley's founder story, it's about Soul Cycle streaming into the home. Yeah. He and his wife were frustrated. They couldn't get into their favorite class right. um, at Soul Cycle. So he's like, there's got to be an answer here. And he's right. There is an answer. I mean, streaming has hit music. It's hit television and mm-hmm. movies. And now it's hitting fitness. And there's not just going to be one brand in that category. There's different consumers with different needs, like we just articulated. For us, the context is we didn't start this way, but it's an easy way for people to understand what we're doing. We are... Um, a bit of a blend of Noom. You're familiar with Noom, the yep. weight loss app, okay. um, where there's positive psychology, behavior change to, to make lasting change, combined with Orange Theory, in a way, which is the fastest growing gym franchise in the country right now, because it's, it's an approachable, realistic um, fitness concept with heart rate training, which is safe, combined with cross-training, which is also safe. There's a lot of overuse injuries of too much rowing, too much running, too much cycling. So we're bringing that together, all of that, and bringing it to the home. Herb, I think sometimes some of the criticism of some of these in-home devices or fitness um, pieces of equipment is the cost. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, because that can certainly prevent you from reaching a larger market. So tell me how accessible is it. Yeah, so we've priced it very accessibly, but it's not about price. It really is about the psychographic and we consider ourselves a content and um, technology company. So for the product itself, we have two different price options. We have one that is a bike with the bike is the component of the product that is cardio, mm-hmm. but we also, um, the bike only is about eleven ninety nine or mm-hmm. $34 a month if you finance it. Right. Um, or, and then we have a mix plus that we call, um, that includes um, weights and accessories from Gaim and Spry, and that's $14.99. Well, and I'm interested in that second part because it does feel like people are, and we see this with Peloton, quite honestly, sort of expanding this platform, Mm -hmm. understanding that people want to do different things at different times. What are you seeing in terms of how people are evolving their activities? So, I mean, the consumer that we're going after, we spoke to them, we dove deeper to understand, and they want variety. Um, they want something they can look forward to that's different every day. They're not looking to be the master or, or personal record in, right. in, in a bike to ride or a run. To mix it up a little bit, right? right. Not get bored, essentially. So, so we're offering that, and, for, and it's not an afterthought. It's from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Similar to Orange Dairy, where it's that cross-training and the mix of different concepts in there, and for the mind as well. You know, that positive psychology that Noom is doing, we're doing that in a big way in this product as Talk well. Talk to us, though, like kind of the support part of it, like, you know, thinking about someone working out and maybe some of the issues that they're having. Because I think about Weight Watchers, right? Yeah. You know, WW, I mean, yep. they were really trying to be kind of a part of your life. That mm. They're the platform you go to for various things, a very holistic approach. So I'm just curious. It comes down to the coaches. Our yeah. coaches are amazing. And they're and they're. Who are they? I would say they're all industry veterans. Mm-hmm. We've got people that are on the board of different industry associations. They've done a lot of, they've worked for various leaders out there, Lifetime Equinox Soul Cycle, mm-hmm. and they see what we see and they believe in the mission that the fitness industry is kind of failing America in many ways. So how can they do something different? And they've bought on and they're helping us. I do wonder, we've only got about a minute left, but I do wonder sort of what you take from your previous experience. I especially think about your work on the Ironman brand at, at Timex. You understand, mm-hmm. as you say, sort of the psychographic. How has that evolved from the performance level, but also, you know, that was a best-selling watch for a wide variety right. of people. Right, and well, it's aspirational. Yeah. There was an aspirational aspect there as well that, you know, the Ironman watch was a badge 
for consumers, yeah. right? And you can wear that on Wall Street and be like, oh, he does Ironmans, or right. he's, he's an athlete. Or he, he or she at <laughs> least works out. It right? works out, it yeah, does yeah. something. But right? there's something to so, creating a community. It, yeah, it was a bit of a community as well, definitely. But from my own personal experience and seeing that, it was like, okay, what's sustainable? You see, you see the trends kind of peak and then they go down. And you yeah. see a lot of injuries that come from that as well. So even personally, I've done an Ironman, done many marathons. Yeah. I'm like, that's not something I know I'm gonna keep up and enjoy doing on a regular basis. So I like the variety, I like mixing it up as I get older, especially. I also think at some point you're gonna hopefully have medical plans, healthcare plans, where you are encouraged help to be able right. to devi- to buy more of these devices to keep everybody healthier. Absolutely. All right, Herbie Calvez, president of Mix Fitness. I like that he got in that little flex that he's done in Iron Man too. Love this guy. <laughs> I sure do want you to know that you They call themselves veteran fashion technologists. I kind of love that terminology. And they are founders of a 3D fashion design and development solutions company used by the likes of Nordstrom, PVH, Ralph Lauren, and so many more. Sharon and Lena Lim are the co-founders of Browseware. Lena is in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio right here in New York. Sharon is on the phone from Singapore where it's Saturday morning, so it's kind of early out there. Um, We welcome you both uh, to Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Business Week. Um, Lena, let me start with you. Tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys are doing. So we're in the um, 3D simulation software. So 3D has always been in place, but not for soft cloth and how it drapes on the body. So we are the leading um, 3D technology solutions for the fashion industry. Well, and a key part of this, uh, Sharon, come on in here, is the sustainability aspect of it. It's something that we're talking about more and more uh, here on our show. Personally, we're talking about it. I know, Carol, you and I have talked about mm-hmm. talking about it with, with our kids even. So talk to us about the sustainability uh, element here, Sharon. Thanks for the fashion industry. It's uh, long drawn and it's, it's, about, it's, uh, it's something that uh, change, it's about changing the way Fashion basically is designed, developed, and sold. And this essentially is why uh, I think Browseware exists as, as a company, you know, to kind of drive some of the sustainability. I think the idea at the end of the day is don't produce until you know that it's going to go somewhere where the consumer wants it. And not to keep uh, producing. Um, you know as well that uh, the fashion industry is, um, has a lot of sustain- unsustainable production methods and producing a physical garment um, often is not uh, it's not the best way to go until so the the idea is to reduce it until you know it's really going to go somewhere that someone wants to buy it. it's like just in time inventory i love this it's taking me back to accounting in college um but what's interesting and lena what i find jason and i've had some conversations um an author of a book called fashionopolis and talking about fast fa- fast fashion she uh, was here earlier this week while you were gone. i know i know she was um and it's just fascinating we've been kind of really um involved with what she's been writing about and talking about but this whole idea of kind of waste by the fast fashion industry to some uh extent and and the waste on the industry so lena tell me what you guys do at browseware i understand just doing it just in time how that is making a difference and certainly some of the companies that you work with and some of the brands how that has improved kind of their impact on our climate so one area that people are not aware of is firstly the fashion industry is like the most pollutant, second to oil and gas. We are probably throwing clothes at a rate of about 11,000 pieces per hour into landfill. 
And a part of that is not just coming from what's not sold. A part of it is coming from how clothes are being designed, sampled right before it is even being made. So they're going through three, four rounds of iteration just to get an idea of what the designer really wants. Right. And that is making a huge, because these clothes are thrown away. They can't be sold. Why can't they be recycled, though? Like, like H&M is a retailer, and of yeah. course th there's been criticism about them in, the, in terms of fast fashion, but they are increasingly taking in clothes and recycling them and making them into new. So why is it, Lena, that we can't do that? You can, but the whole idea around it is while you can recycle it, a more sustainable manner of it is to think about how about not producing it until right. you really want right. it. Right. Just stop it. Yeah, just right. stop it. Then we don't have to deal with the whole issue of reusing it or recycling it. I think that's where Browseware comes in. Let's nip it until we really need it, until it can really be wanted. And so Sharon, as you think about this from where you sit literally uh, in, in Singapore, you know, this is ultimately a global issue. I'm fascinated by the fact that, that you guys are able to manage this company uh, so globally, you know, as, as co-founders of this company, as twin sisters, <laughs> uh, as we pointed out. Uh, what do you see from your perspective there? How is it being received uh, there in Asia? Actually, the technology has been around since the late 90s to the early 2000s, and the supply chain guys, actually, um, which is predominantly here in Asia, has been early adopters as well. Hmm. They do understand there's a lot more than, um, well, they, they, if you want to say they, they are the last, last guys on the food chain, so they kind of understand the impact that it makes a lot earlier so some of our earliest clients were all really factories who were trying to make this change a lot faster so what does it take and to then uh, oh, oh, i'm sorry forgive me go ahead no no and then introducing it actually bringing it back to their clients and saying here this is a better way of working you know can we work this way so this is what this is why we we have a strong base here in asia but at the same time, in, in other continents that they're in. So a lot of stakeholders and everybody's kind of dispersed in different continents. So what will it take, um, Lita, let me put this to you. What will it take for the fashion industry? I mean, it's a huge industry. It's a global industry. Um, you're working often in emerging economies uh, in terms of you know trying to keep costs down and so on and so forth. What will it take for the industry to dramatically reduce its carbon footprint? I think it's consumer. I think it's the awareness of consumer about what the industry is doing, the consumer having the choice to say, I will work and I will buy from a brand that I know is protecting the earth right. and creation and all of that. And I think it's the consumer choice. And in recent trends, we've seen because of this consumer that there's a huge awareness, even on you know fair practices, um, you know uh, labor costs. Mm -hmm. A lot of this has been driven awareness um, to the consumer, and they're putting the pressure on the brands and the retailers. Um, I think that's a big part. Second part of it is the the um, availability of technology that's enabling this to happen at a lot faster right. without going through, uh, you know, huge effort. They can now do it very easily. So does, I think that's exciting. Does this your company? Um, just very quickly, twenty seconds, Lena. Does it make it possible for you know manufacturers to kind of set up shop in their backyards more easily? Because I just think with the trade wars, whether we're finding people having to do that, just very quickly. 
Yes, it, it definitely opens up the opportunity for made to measure, which means onshoring rather right. than yeah. offshoring. Definitely. Very cool stuff. All right. Really, really interesting. Thank you both so much. Lena and Sharon Lim. Lena here with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, a co-founder, chief commercial officer of Browseware and Sharon Lim up early in Singapore Saturday morning. She's the CEO of Browseware.